Please join me in taking your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2. The question that we will attempt to answer today is, are all sins equal or are there differences in sins? And so hopefully we can see that from not only our Old Testament reading, but our New Testament reading today and um, come to an understanding of sin. So today I am in James chapter two, beginning in verse eight. Hear the word of the Lord. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we look towards your word today, we do ask that you convict us of our sin. And remind us that we are forgiven sinners. We are not perfect. We await the day when perfection comes, when your son returns. We await the day when temptation goes away. When your son returns. But right now we deal with sinfulness in our lives. Help us as we move through this study today. Seeking to answer the question. Are all sins equal or are some sins worse than others? We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. When Dante wrote his magisterial poetic work, The Inferno. He portrayed a man going on a tour of hell. And as he goes through this tour of hell, he noticed that there were many, many different levels of hell. And you were assigned to different levels of hell based upon the heinousness or wickedness of your sin. So the the most wicked of people to ever live would be placed in the bottom and the lower the bowels of hell. While those who were only, you know, just a little bit wicked would be up at the top. But all throughout the history of the church, probably throughout the history of God's people and the history of sin, the question has been asked, is that how it works? Do we get sent? Do we get punished worse for certain sins than we get punished for others? Or are all sins equally equal in the sight of God? And so today we are going to answer that question by saying all sin is equal in effect, but not all sins are equal in their wickedness. So first, all sin is equal in effect, as we read in the larger catechism today, since even the least sin goes against the sovereignty, goodness and holiness of God and against his righteous law. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and the life to come, and cannot be expiated, cannot be atoned for except by the blood of Christ. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, this way, sin is a a presumption of supreme arrogance in that the creature vaunts his own wisdom above that of the creator challenges the divine omnipotence with human impotence 
and seeks to usurp the rightful authority of the cosmic Lord. That means all sins, no matter how big or how little we think they are, are an act of cosmic treason. Whenever we sin, whenever we break the law of God, we as the creature are saying to the creator, I'm smarter than you. I'm wiser than you. I know more than you. And I can rule my life far better than you can. Last week, we talked about prayer being a conversation between a king and his subject. Let's put ourselves back in that particular context there where we are subjects of the cosmic king. Think of an earthly ruler. Think of an earthly king. And think of going to that person and saying, look, you're an idiot. I'm smarter than you. How well do you think that would go? And yet, in essence, that is what we do every time we sin. Every time we break God's law. Forgive my crassness here, but we are going to God and saying to his face, you're an idiot. I know better. And what does God say that deserves? Death, judgment, both in this life and forever. And that is why our Lord and Savior came to this earth and died. God is a God of justice. And justice is not the alleviation of poverty, although that's part of it. Justice is not the acceptance of the oppressed and the rescue of the oppressed. Justice in terms of God means that punishment must fit the crime. Justice demands that God be true to his word and punish sin. God can't just forgive offenses of cosmic treason. God can't just forgive humanity as they shake their fist in his face. God cannot just say, look, I'm going to let that slide this time. Sin must be punished. And because sin must be punished, God sent his son to walk this earth. To be tempted, as we're told in the scriptures, in every way as we are, except without sin. To earn for himself the right to life. And yet take upon himself death that he did not deserve. Take upon himself punishment that he did not deserve. Punishment that you and I deserve for our cosmic treason. So that we might have grace. So that we might have forgiveness. So that sin might be paid for, atoned for, expiated is that word used there in the in the catechism. All sin, every sin, no matter how big or how little. Deserves God's eternal judgment. All sin is equal in effect. But not all sins are equal in their wickedness. We have our verse from James today, our, our, our statement from James for that. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. But then we also had our passage from Exodus 21 talking about murder and made a differentiation between accidental taking of a human life and the premeditated 
taking of a human life and that one received a different punishment than the other. One received a different discipline than the other. And our catechism, as we read today, talked about the difference in evil or wickedness of sin. It says all sins are not equally evil in the eyes of God. Some of them are more evil in themselves and others because of the harm that results from them. And then in question 151, it lists four categories that make some sins more evil, more wicked, more heinous than other sins. Now, if you have an opportunity today or this week to look at question 151, I highly encourage you to take it. But you'll also notice that I'm going to cover these in reverse order than the confession does. In my mind, as I was preparing this, it it just seemed to, to work better as we think as we thought about it in reverse order than in the order that it did. Not that I'm any smarter than the divines, the people who wrote the catechism. It just kind of fit better in my understanding. And I thought maybe it would fit better in yours as well. So there's four categories of things that make sin more wicked, more heinous than others. The first is the circumstance of time and place. Sins committed here in this place at this time are more wicked than others. Why are we here? We are here at God's call to worship him, are we not? Sins committed here in the presence of God in this place that is set apart specifically for his worship and for his work are worse than the same sin are more wicked than the same sin were they committed outside of this place. We we are gathered here to worship God. We are supposed to be separated from the world and the things that lead us to sin to carry our sins into this worship service is more wicked than if they were committed during normal times. The second thing that makes sin more wicked is the nature and quality of the sin. Now, this is where you'll need that little illustration there in your bulletin. So if you'll take it out um, as we begin to consider this, we begin to consider the nature and quality of the sin. If we look through the law, through the law of Exodus, through the law of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we would see that some sins require restitution and some sins require death. God laid out guidelines in his law for dealing with sins and crimes and the differences in punishment show the differences in wickedness. Some sins are more against nature, as Paul says in Romans 1:20, than others. And the ones that are most against nature are the ones that deserve death. Now, let's see how that works out. Take one of the dots on your on your picture here and right above it. Righteous. Right above the dot, righteous, R-I-G-H-T-E-O-U-S, or you can write holy if that's easier, H-O-L-Y. On the other end, write wicked. Under the other dot, write wicked. Now let's think of this in terms of relationships. Underneath that dot that says righteous or holy, write the word relationship. And then think to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has the people gathered there. The Pharisees have been teaching their version of the law for quite some time. And in in Matthew chapter five, 
Jesus begins by saying, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery. So you have already brought yourself under the condemnation of God merely by looking at another human being with sexual lust in your heart. All right. So there we are equal in its effect. You are deserving of the fires of hell. But the wickedness of lust is not the same as the wickedness of flat out adultery. Because it's on a continuum. I'm taking this from R.C. Sproul once again. He he has several articles called Degrees of Sin, and he talks about the continuum of ethical behavior. Under righteous relationships, we have friendship. We have marriage. We have all of these ideas, all of these definitions of relationships that are righteous. But as soon as we begin to move out of those righteous relationships, say we throw lust into the mix. We get outside of that dot of righteousness and we move into wickedness. And we can progress down that particular Continuum until we end up all the way down here in full wickedness. And that as we look at the law in the in the Old Testament, we see that the nature and quality of the sin changes as we get different punishments. We can do the same thing with anger. We have righteous relationships here, but you begin to add anger into the mix. And Jesus said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you the truth that whoever harbors anger in their heart or calls other people names like fool or idiot is deserving of judgment as well. And so you see, we begin to move outside of holy, outside of righteous into wickedness. But we can progress into more and more wickedness until we get down until the sin that's against nature. We're told in Genesis chapter Nine after the flood that whoever takes the life of a human, his life shall be forfeit as well, because that's against nature. Why? Because God created man in his own image in the image of God created he them. And so we can begin to see that there are sins that all bring us equally under the judgment of God and yet may not be as wicked as other sins based upon their nature. This is why oftentimes people may be denied access through the discipline of the church to the Lord's table, while others are not, because wickedness is greater in one sin than is another. This is why people may be denied access to church membership, while others are not, because while all sins are equally under judgment, not all sins are equally wicked. In the eyes of God and in the eyes of man. So we have different nature and quality of the sin that affects its wickedness. Thirdly, the person sinned against affects the wickedness of sin. Job has lost his home, his treasure, his children, and finally his health. And in Job chapter 9, his wife comes to him and counsels him to go, quote, curse God and die. Why do you think death is the consequence for cursing God? 
Because on the continuum of wickedness, sinning against God, cursing against God is far worse than cursing against another human being. On the other end of the spectrum, sins against children are far more wicked than sins against adults. We, we feel that deep in our bones, do we not? We feel that part of the wickedness when we see a child sinned against, whether it's an abuse or verbal abuse or, or whatever type of abuse. We, we feel it in our very bones that somehow that is far more wicked than the same thing that happens to a human, to, a, to an adult. Sorry, all children are human. I totally affirm and avow that. Broken vows fall closer to the wicked end of the spectrum. When you're tempted to sin against somebody weaker than you, whether through oppression or violence, remember that that sin is far more wicked in the eyes of God. Jesus doesn't say if any one of you teaches one of your fellow adults to stumble, it's as bad as if a millstone were tied around your neck and thrown in the lake. He says if you teach one of these children one of these little ones of mine to stumble, you will be thrown into the lake. And finally, the fourth category that the catechism gives us, and brothers and sisters, this one hit me hard this week. It's the person who commits the sin affects the wickedness of the sin. The catechism says that the sins of older people, that one didn't get me, are more wicked than those of the younger people. The catechism said the sins of mature Christians, we're getting a little closer to the mark here, are more wicked than new Christians. The sins of church officers are more wicked than those of church members. There we are, folks. That's me right there. I'm in a God has, for some strange reason, put me in a place of prominence in this church. Yep. The sins of those who are prominent in a community or a church are more wicked than the sins of others. Why? Well, the main reason the catechism says is because we should know better. If you're an older adult, if you're a more mature Christian, if you are an officer in a church, you should know better. And you're held to a higher standard. I'm held to a higher standard. The elders are held to a higher standard. The deacons are held to a higher standard. Those who are well known of high reputation in the community and are Christian are held to a higher standard. If you have been Christian for any length of time, you are held to a higher standard before God. And your sins, my sins, are more wicked than the sins of others. All sins are equal in their effect, but not all sins are equal in their wickedness. Now, there's two dangers to this distinction. The first is that we downplay the wickedness of our sin and the judgment it deserves. You know, we have a tendency to look at James chapter two. Where it says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And we use it to justify our sinfulness, our actions. Oh, you know what? Just give them a free pass because we're all sinners. 
you know, just let that slide because we're all sinners, aren't we? We all deserve the same thing. That's what we typically do. The other thing we typically do to justify our wickedness, to downplay the wickedness of our sin and the judgment it deserves is we bargain with God to see how far we can march along this continuum before we've gone too far. Think about that in adultery. Oh, a little lust is okay. Oh, maybe I'll hang out with her for a little bit longer than I should. And uh, maybe yeah, we'll just talk about stuff I should only talk about with my wife. How far we, we try to bargain with God to see how far this can down this continuum that we can walk before God says, boom, you've sinned. When in reality, anywhere outside of the dot that says righteous is sin and deserves God's eternal punishment and eternal judgment. We learned today in Sunday school that when Abraham sinned and then was rescued by God from his sin and taken back to the Holy Land, he had a deeper understanding of the grace that he did not deserve. Of the forgiveness that God sinned, that God gave to him because of his sin. And the second thing we do with this, first, we downplay the wickedness and justify our own sin and the, and the judgment it deserves. The second thing is we can forget that we progress along the continuum. You know, and no one leaps from righteous relationship to murder, to flat out premeditated murder. Nobody makes that leap. At some point in their life, they said, oh, I don't like that person. You know what? They irritate me enough that I'm just going to hold a grudge. And then that grudge and some people make this trip faster than others. Don't get me wrong. But we forget that that little grudge. Can lead to name calling. Can lead to outright shunning. And ultimately, if we continue to walk blindly down this continuum, we will end up at murder unless God intervenes to stop us. Each and every one of us who seeks to live in this dot called righteous. Is capable of the dot called murder. That is the wickedness of sin. That is the heinousness of sin. Is that one little step out of that dot of righteousness. Can ultimately lead to the sins against nature. The murders, the adulteries, the thefts, the lying, the idolatry, the taking of God's name in vain, the violation of the Sabbath, the disrespect and dishonoring of parents, those sins that God says are against nature. We are each and every one of us capable of. Brothers and sisters, do not justify your sin by saying, hey, they're all equal anyway. Understand that every sin you commit. Deserves God's judgment. It is equal in its effect. And understand that the first step, the first dipping of your toe into wickedness. Can lead to the ultimate wickedness of murder. But also understand that Jesus has taken the punishment for your sins. So that even when we do dally with wickedness. Even when we are driven to our knees. By the depth of our sins against. Those who are weaker than us. Those whom we love. When we're driven to our knees by the depth of our sin and anger. 
against those that we hurt most. There is forgiveness, both in this life and the life to come. Let us pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this reminder. Not a reminder I wanted, but thank you for it. That you take my sin seriously. You call it wicked and you hate it. Yes, you have forgiven it. But that does not reduce the heinousness, the evil, the wickedness of my sin. I thank you, Lord, that the effect of sin has passed over me and landed on your son. And yet I am brokenhearted by the realization that in my fight I am more wicked than holy. Help each and every one of us to realize the depth of the pain that we cause you when we sin. Help each and every one of us realize the depth of wickedness that resides in us, that we are called to remove, that we are empowered to remove through the cross. Forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen.